With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the first mini episode of Capable. Mini episodes are smaller bonus episodes made up of true crime stories that aren't quite long enough to feature in full length episodes. Five mini episodes will be released before they become a Patreon subscriber perk. Mini episodes will be posted frequently every single month for anyone who dedicates $5 a month to the podcast. Check out patreon.com capable to find out what other benefits you can enjoy while supporting the show. Thank you so much for your support. This is Capable, Mini Episode 1, Missing Women in Missouri. Clinton, Missouri is a small rural town occupied by less than 9,000 people. Its residents are predominantly factory workers and farmers, but the town is known for its avid support of its other local businesses. Angela Hammond, while born in Kansas City, had lived in Clinton since she was four years old. Her family relocated to Clinton to be closer to other family members. When her parents divorced, Clinton stayed Angela's hometown, and she focused on making a future for herself. She maintained close and important friendships, and at the age of 19, she then fell in love. Angela Hammond met Rob Schaefer in November of 1990, and they fell for one another quickly. When she announced that she was pregnant in January of 1991, Rob excitedly proposed, and Angela accepted without hesitation. The two started planning their life together. Rob had enlisted with the military and Angela was working at a local bank while taking college courses at Central Missouri State College. Their plans came to a halt just a few months later. Around 11.15 p.m. on April 4, 1991, Angela was heading home from a visit with her best friend Kyla. It was late, so she decided to pull into the parking lot of a grocery store called Food Barn to use a payphone to call Rob, as she didn't have a home phone and she wanted to call and speak with him before the night ended. They spoke for almost 30 minutes when Angela stopped their conversation to tell Rob 
that a suspicious man in a green F-150 Ford pickup had been circling the block repeatedly. Only minutes later did the truck stop. The driver pulled over near the phone booth and got out. He walked toward the empty phone booth located next to the one she was in. Before entering the phone booth, he stopped and turned around and returned to his truck. She watched him, telling Rob that he'd grabbed a flashlight and appeared to be searching for something. Angela then asked the man if he needed any help. He said no. Seconds later, Rob heard a horrifying scream come from Angela on the other side of the phone. He didn't hesitate. He threw aside his landline and ran outside, getting into his own truck to go to her aid. While rushing to the phone booth's location, Rob passed a truck. He could see Angela struggling and could hear her yelling Robbie for help. He turned around as sharply as he could to chase the car down. He chased them for two miles and then, with a bad stroke of luck, his transmission malfunctioned. His car stopped and he was stranded with no way to continue following. With no choice but to walk back into town, he started on foot to the police station. A passing driver noticed him walking and picked him up, taking him straight to the cops. He arrived just after midnight and told them everything that had just happened. First, the cops asked for a description of the man. Angela told Rob that the man in the truck was filthy and bearded. He had on overalls and a dark-colored baseball hat. He also wore eyeglasses. He described the truck, saying it was green with a white top. There had been partial damage on the left front fender, and on the rear window was a mural of a fish jumping out of water. A composite sketch of the person of interest was created, although it had been met with much scrutiny because it didn't feature any of the key characteristics that Angela described to Rob. Possibly because, from the get-go, the cops didn't buy Rob's story. They considered him to be a prime suspect in her disappearance. But they investigated his story and found his broken-down vehicle in the middle of the street exactly where he said he'd left it. Then, they located Angela's vehicle at the parking lot that she had been in when she made the phone call to Rob. Her belongings were still inside. Next, her parents were notified that she had gone missing. At the time, they were both living outside of Clinton, and they traveled back to do everything they could to locate their daughter. During this time, Rob had not been ruled out as a prime suspect. Over the course of those weeks, he passed a polygraph test. Then, two eyewitnesses came forward, saying they'd seen that same green Ford pickup truck Rob had described, trolling around the area. They officially ruled him out as being the culprit. 
Next, their focus shifted onto Angela's ex-boyfriend, Bill Barker. In previous months, Bill had been telling people in town that the father of Angela's baby was him, not Rob. When the cops brought him in for questioning, he denied ever making this claim. With no evidence to link him to the crime, he was also ruled out as a suspect. Clinton came together as a community and did their best to find Angela. Hundreds of volunteers conducted air and ground searches. Nothing was working or turning up any results. So just under two weeks later, the Clinton Police Department contacted Missouri Rural Crime Scene Squad for help. Almost 30 police officers from neighboring counties came to their aid. Even the Missouri Highway Patrol poured over their registered vehicle database to try to track down the truck. But they had no luck and no trail to follow. The cops were stumped. Then they discovered that two similar disappearances had occurred within an 80-mile radius earlier in the year. In Max Creek, Missouri, on January 19th, a much smaller town than Clinton, a 42-year-old woman named Trudy Darby was working late at a local convenience store. When she was closing up shop for the night, she called her son Waylon and asked him to come to the store before she left because she felt unnerved. Three men were lingering right outside the store doors. But when Waylon arrived, Trudy was gone. Her body was found two days later in Little Niangua River. She had been shot in the head twice. One month later, on February 27th, in Nevada, Missouri, Cheryl Ann Kenny, a 30 year old woman, was working at a convenience store, just like Trudy Darby. She decided to close the store early, around 10 p.m., and let one of the other employees in the store leave early while she did so. At 10.17, she set the alarm system and walked out to her car. But she didn't make it, and she never returned home. She has not been seen since. It wasn't until 1994 that the case of Trudy Darby had been solved. 15-year-old Jesse Risch and his half-brother, Marvin Cheney, were arrested. Jesse had bragged to three friends that he was responsible for the murder, and he got away with it. Jesse's friends were not impressed, and they alerted the police. He was interrogated, and he confessed to the crime. He told investigators that he, his brother, and another unnamed accomplice had planned the abduction beforehand. They came into the store, held her up at gunpoint, stole the cash from the register, and then forced her into her car. She tried to defend herself, which pissed them off. They carried her into a nearby barn, where they sexually and physically assaulted her. They shot her in the head once. They noticed that she was still breathing just before they pushed her into the river, so they shot her a second time. Jesse met a man in jail while waiting for his trial to start. The man's name was Edward Thomas, 
and Jesse believed he was a lawyer that would help him get his charges lessened. He wrote Edward 13 letters and suggested that he and his brother were behind many more crimes in the area, ones that had never been solved. He said in his letters, I'm glad they don't know everything else we did, or I'd be on death row. Unfortunately, he did not name their other victims. In April of 1997, Jesse and Marvin were both found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. They were largely suspected of being involved in the disappearance of Angela Hammond and Cheryl Ann, but they were ultimately ruled out due to a lack of evidence connecting them to the disappearances. Cheryl Ann Kenny's case has not been solved. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Cheryl Ann Kenny, please contact the Nevada, Missouri Police Department. Angela's case went cold for years, until 2009, when the Clinton Police Department made a statement to the media claiming they had new DNA evidence because of how far technology has come. But they never went into detail and never revealed what they'd found. No new updates have come to light since. Angela's then-fiancé Rob moved out of Clinton for a job in construction, He is now happily married with children. He has stayed close with Angela's family over the years. Even with the passing of time, Angela's friends and family continue to suffer due to lack of answers in her case. They fight every day to make sure Angela's memory is not forgotten so that maybe one day they can receive closure and bring her home. This episode was written, edited, and produced by me. You can find resources I used for this episode at capablepod.podbean.com. Music for this episode comes from the talented artists at Artlist and Soundstripe. Come follow me on Twitter and Instagram at CapablePodcast for updates on cases I've covered, for cases I will be covering in the future, and other true crime-related news and information. Until next time, stay safe out there.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.